Welcome back to another episode of the Learning to Live podcast. My name is Chaz Okada, and this week we have Mr. Brian Wampler, founder and CEO of Wampler Pedals. Wampler Pedals is a guitar pedal company, and for those of you who might not know what a guitar pedal is, it's basically an accessory for your guitar, which when you're playing an electric usually, you plug into an amplifier, but instead of going straight into an amplifier and making loud sounds that your neighbors might hate, you get to plug it into a guitar pedal and make weird loud sounds that your neighbors might hate. So for example, when you listen to, say, a rock song and it has a heavy distorted guitar, or if you're listening to a pretty pop song and there's this nice crystal smooth guitar with some echoey sounds on it or reverb or delay, then that's chances are it's probably going through a guitar pedal. And what Mr. Wampler does is he designs those and he creates them. But Mr. Wampler doesn't just have this guitar pedal business. He's also a YouTuber and he's a podcaster. And in this interview, we talk about his journey. Why and how did he become a guitar pedal maker? It's quite an interesting and niche industry, but his story is actually very interesting. We also talk about how he got to working with artists such as Brad Paisley. And in fact, Brad Paisley, not directly, but indirectly, me watching a bunch of Brad Paisley videos and getting into his gear, that's how I actually found out about Wampler pedals. And this plays into another topic of conversation, which is why does Mr. Wampler have such a large online presence? Whenever you look up anything about guitar pedals, chances are you will come across one of his amazing videos, and I will link to his YouTube channel in the podcast description. Last thing before we get started, I actually got to fly to Indiana to interview Mr. Wampler in his studio where he records his YouTube videos. And so if you want to see what it looked like, when I was recording this podcast episode, you can head over to his YouTube channel, and that's the same room that this podcast was recorded in. And I will split this interview into two parts because it's such a great interview, but it's a little long. I know that some people like about half-hour segments, so I'm going to split it up into two interviews. So be sure to check out part two for more Brian Wampler. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mr. Wampler. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into pedals, guitar pedals, in the first place? So I started playing guitar when I was seven. Um, This was back in early 80s. So started playing guitar. I could occasionally talk my parents into buying me a, a guitar pedal, but there wasn't there wasn't the amount of guitar pedals back then that there is now. So, you know, it was couple of the, you know, Boss was still around, Ibanez was still around, uh, a couple of the big companies and a couple of smaller companies that are no longer uh, companies anymore. But as I grew up, I was always looking for like, you know, the sound of certain artists that I was listening to at the time. And of course, being before the internet, I didn't realize that a lot of that stuff was not, wasn't, the sound that you heard on record wasn't just because of a pedal or just because of a guitar or just because of an amp. Like there's a whole 
a whole lot of other things around it, like what mics you're using, how it's mic'd, what kind of cabinets, what kind of speakers, like all these other things made a big difference. Um, so as I was getting, you know, going through my 20s, I was buying a, guitar pedals and different amps and just always trying to get a certain sound that whoever I was into at the time. So if I was listening to, um, uh, you know, Stone Temple Pilots or something, then I would be, I would want to get that sort of sound whenever I was playing that song with my band. Um, I think, so I've, I've always been into guitar gear, but what really changed is I noticed around 2000, 2001 or so that there were people on the internet that were taking these pedals apart and amplifiers for that matter and doing changes to them to make them sound different. Uh, and, and me being more of a hands-on type person, that just was real, really interesting to me that you could take uh, a given pedal and make it sound completely different. So I really just read a bunch of things on the internet, bought some books on electronics, um, and fumbled my way through it <laughs> and um, eventually started kind of creating my own circuits, uh, started making my own pedals. And at this time, I was I was playing a lot of gigs, um, both here in Indianapolis and I was also driving to Nashville, Tennessee, and playing down there on Broadway a little bit. And more, I noticed that more people were asking me to, like, they're asking me about the pedals that were on my pedal board, uh, asking to borrow them or buy them or whatever. More people were interested interested in that than they were in, like, wanting me to play in the band. <laughs> um, and so, and to be honest with you, I mean, I the last thing that I um, really wanted to do was travel. I don't think I would, I would have admitted it to myself at the time. But as I've gotten older, I'm like... Uh, there's no way in the world I could have stuck to that path. In fact, some of the guys that I actually, not to go off on a tangent, to get sidetracked, but some of the guys that I played with in Nashville now are in big name bands and, and do travel all over the world. And um, I mean, good for them for finding something they like to do, but I, I could never do that. It's just not in my DNA. But, uh, but that's basically how I got into guitar pedals, just because I wanted a certain sound and then figured out that you could actually change the way it sounds and build a company around that. Do you find that the technical side of guitar pedal building came naturally to you? I wouldn't say that the building aspect does. Um, I would say the sa- the sound does. So for, for some reason, I have a very weird talent or whatever you want to call it, where I can, I'll hear certain things in music that others don't. Um, for example, I, I remember being young and I would, I would hear a certain guitar tone and I would, I'd be able to identify pitches. So I would say, oh, wow, that's really heavy in like one and a half K. Um, that's, that's an odd thing for, you know, a young kid to, to think, think about. But it just, I was listening to frequencies from like EQ pedals. And so I would mess with that. And so I guess I just learned what those frequencies sound like. And so whenever I heard music on, on the radio or whatever, I would, just note, I guess mentally note to myself what was going on. So I would see that, you know, there was maybe too much presence at 2K in a vocal or um, I would hear some weird reverb or trail off on a vocal and I'd be like, wow, that's really cool. That's a really cool reverb that's, you can hear it bouncing off like this medium-sized long room. Uh, so it's just, it's an odd thing to be able to hear that kind of detail. But I think that's probably, I'm better at that than, than actually building them. So uh, our, our pedals, I used to build myself. And um, after I learned after a while that that is 
not what I'm good at. Yeah, I mean, so that's a very repetitive thing. You create a product and you build it a thousand times in a row. <laughs> um, and that's I, I was much better at creating a product and building one and then creating a different product and building another. Uh, so much so that to my own detriment, when I first started out, we had a pedal called the Ecstasy. And I would, I would build a couple and I would get bored of building them that way. So I would just change it. I would just make the circuit different as I was building it. I'm like, I'm going to add a little bit more bottom end on this one. I'm going to make this one clip a little bit different. So like the first, I don't know, maybe 50 of them, they're all completely different from one to the other. So, What was the first pedal you built or modified? Uh, the first one I modified was a Boss DS1, the Orange Distortion. Uh, the first one I built, I just built a simple switcher. It's around here somewhere. Um, simple switcher that just would basically make a true bypass loop for a pedal. So super simple, um, no circuit board involved or anything like that. Um, I think I, I ended up buying a breadboard, which allows you to, uh, you can create circuits very quickly without soldering. And um, I bought one of those and I just started breadboarding all different types of circuits. And I would, I would go, I would, I would create a circuit on this breadboard and for each position, like each resistor, each capacitor, I would just put in different values. Well, what does this do? What, what does a 10K do? What's a 20K do? Um, I, I would just do that through a complete circuit. And, um, and this is mostly for fun. So this is, that was what I did for fun. Um, and as I was doing that, I just got to know, oh, well, this type of gain stages with these types of values before and after it will yield this, you know, this end result. Um, so that's, I, th I think um, that's probably the best way to explain it. Now, do you feel like if you had a specific sound in mind, you could create exactly that? Or do you still have troubles with that sort of art form? I think with any art form, it's all about taking what you hear in your head, well, for music, what you hear in your head, and then realizing it through building it or painting it or playing it. I don't, um, I don't think I have a problem with it. I, I can see it's changed, you know, over time. I mean, what, I guess when I was, when I was very first starting stuff, I was looking for a sound of a Marshall Plexi. And I created the Plexi Drive because of that, and then the Pinnacle because of like a hot rod at Plexi. And um, I mean, I'm not really looking for those tones anymore. I guess now it, it does change year by year. Right now, I'm looking at what can I do? Um, what can I do with a signal digitally? You know, because um, there are there's things in in the digital world that you just cannot do in the analog world. Uh, so it really kind of opens up the possibilities. Uh, what's weird is in, in it is changing a bit, but in guitar circles, some people uh, have been kind of reluctant to to ad accept new technology. So then um, that I mean, luckily that has changed in the past few years. But I remember ten years ago the idea of anyone playing through a digital um, effect of any sort. It was kind of look at like that's a, that's horrible. You, that's, it's going to sound bad because it's digital. And then of course, Act Effects came out and completely changed the game. And Helix and uh, Line Six, uh, that, well, that is Helix uh, Kemper. I mean, um, you know, all those all those sort of guys created these products where people were like, "Wow, it's digital, but it actually sounds good." So I think people are becoming more accepting of it. Uh, a younger generation, I, I think, isn't necessarily growing up thinking that same way. 
I think they're more accepting of, of a digital-based pedal, or, or amplifier for that matter. Well, when I started out, I started with a combo amp because it was expensive to buy a tube amp and a bunch of different pedals when you wanted different effects. Right. So for me, it was a much more affordable option. Yeah. It definitely is. I mean, and I mean, I still, as you see, looking around you, I still like tube amps. I, I still, I prefer them, but I don't necessarily think that a solid state is bad. I mean, I have a quilter over there, which is the solid state amp. And, uh, and it's pretty cool. It's, um, I would, I, I hate to say one's better or worse. It's just a different thing. Uh, and I like, I like both. I just, I guess I look at kind of like paints. You know, if you're painting something, you don't just want red, blue, and white, and yellow, and orange. Like, you want all these different shades of, of things so you can create something cool. And that's kind of how I look at uh, music technology in general. It's like, I me mean, personally, I don't care if it's analog or digital, just I care about what it does. How many years have you been in business? I th- let me think. So, we started. There's some fuzzy years where we were kind of in business, but it was like a side hustle thing. And that was that was probably around 2005 or so, so maybe 2006, somewhere in that area. That um, it, I think around 2006, maybe later part of six, it became a full time job. And um, you know, that's what 13 years ago. So um, doesn't seem like that long ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that you made me feel old, Chaz. <laughs> So what was the state of your business, well, I guess side hustle, when you decided to take it full time? Was it just taking too much time out of your day job or what's yeah, that I mean, leap like? I was not, I was in remodeling. So I, we were, um, I had a small remodeling crew and we worked for different people that would buy houses and fix them up and flip them. And um, it, it just wasn't fulfilling. Like it was... It was okay. I mean, even still to this day, I still like working with my hands and doing stuff. But to do it full time, it just it just didn't fulfill me. And I got into it because I thought, you know, I I don't have a college education. Uh, it's I'm impossible to work. I can't work for anybody else. I'm just not wired that way. So I'll create my own little company and I'll go find some work. And oh, this is what I'll do. And the older I got, I just it just wasn't fulfilling anymore. And um, so as I was working with pedals, I mean, I, I loved that. That was my hobby, which then became my business. And I was, I, w- I was staying up like several nights in a row. Like I would come home from work and just work all night working on some sort of pedal design. And then I'd go to work and then I'd do the same thing the next night. And um, that's a good way to get sick, by the way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend doing that. That's, that takes its toll on your health. So I did that for about a year and then decided that that's just not going to work. I mean, I did sleep some, but there were a lot of nights that, you know, three-hour nights, quite a bit were pretty common. So, um, but at that time, I mean, the the whole market was different. There wasn't a Reverb.com. People were selling pedals on eBay. Amazon wasn't nearly as big as what it is now. They're primarily a bookseller. Um and this, even all the stores, there wasn't as many stores. I mean, you had your guitar centers and that sort of thing, but there wasn't, there wasn't as a lot of, as many of boutique online shops. I mean, there were still some mom and pop stores where you could go buy, um, you know, music gear. And that is one thing that's changed as well is now some of those are kind of dying off in favor of online stores where someone doesn't have to have a physical presence. So the, the whole landscape is constantly changing. 
So how did you grow from the time you first started? Um, I did a lot. So back then, this is before Facebook. Uh, this is when MySpace was going really, really big. Uh, I did a lot on MySpace, which just at that time, I'm trying to remember back, a lot of, so basically that'd be like a lot of sound clips. Um, a few years into it, YouTube started. So I put, I did put some stuff on YouTube. Um, for like gear forms are real big back then. So the, like all the gear forms, I would just talk to people and, and really try to help them. So instead of, instead of doing what a lot of other people did, which is, Hey, I made a pedal. You should buy it. I would just have conversations with people. And whenever they were, let's say they're saying, um, you know, I, I'm having a problem with my pedal because it's doing A, B, or C. Well, I would help them solve that problem. And then so they kind of looked at me as an online friend, I guess you could say. And I just so happened to make guitar pedals. And I just built that up little by little by little. Uh, I did do some Google advert. I mean, we did some paid advertising uh, with Google. Um, but for the most part, just a lot of hustle. Just a lot of a lot of time spent on forums and talking to people and uh, sending out free pedals to anybody that would be willing to like, to take one and it would be willing to talk. So I I was um, I would find out who are we call them um, what do we call them now um, influencers now, but even back then I noticed there's certain people on these forums that others listen to. If I can get those people pedals then they'll recommend my pedal when the time is right. So I would do that. I would just reach out to those people and like, let me send you some pedals. And, you know, to them, they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Free, free gear is always good. So it just, it just built up slowly, organically like that. So now with your current YouTube presence, would you call yourself an influencer? I, I'm, I think it's weird because kind of, but kind of not. I mean, I... I probably do have some influence on it, but I, there's also the potential for bias, you know? So, um, even on, even on my own YouTube channel, I'm real careful about doing a video that has our pet, our pedals. I almost prefer to do other people's pedals because I think that feels more legitimate. Um, it, not that it, not that it isn't legitimate when I'm talking about my own product, but it can come across bad whenever you're doing videos and you're talking about how to get a certain type of tone, and all you do is show your videos. That's that's a commercial. And I don't want to do commercials. I want to put out content that people like and that's helpful. Um, so I guess from that standpoint, it's it's I'm in this weird in-between thing. Um, like I, I don't I, I don't do like paid videos like a lot of guys do. There's a lot of people that you, you send them a pedal. You pay them a couple hundred bucks or whatever their price is, and they'll do a review or they'll do a, a you know some sort of demo playing through that pedal. I don't do that stuff. So if I do show other pedals, it's just simply because I've seen people who have talked about it and had questions about it, and I think it would help them. Um, or I just simply was playing through it that day, and I thought, this is kind of a cool thing to show people. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't really have a good, good answer for that. Well, I think one of the reasons why you're doing so well, at least when I talk to my friends, this is one question that I've asked a lot of them recently is whenever you look online, does it bother you when you see these advertisements or commercials? Because I think we grew up in the age of 
well, when we were very young, I'm 19 right now, we saw TV advertisements and those were just boring. You'd never pay attention. But now, even if you do a Google search and you see the little yellow ad box, even that if that's the link that you want, we don't click on it. All of my friends click on the one that doesn't say ad and none of us click on banner ads and none of us like it when an Instagram account for a band or a business, whatever it may be, when they post content that's always promoting their product or their latest CD. Right. We, we just don't like that. We don't engage with that. So I think that that's some proof as if you need more proof yeah, of how that works. I think it's, for, I mean, maybe, I think there's an age gap difference. So, I mean, if you're, I've noticed if you're, let's let's call it an arbitrary age of 55 or so, I think you're going to be more apt to click on that ad than if you're 25. Um, I mean, even me, myself being, how old am I? I'm 44. <laughs> um, me being 44, when I see a paid ad, I look, I mean, I put on my business hat and I think, huh, so they're, what, are they, what are they trying to achieve? Where does it take me? What's their ad copy? So I go into that mode. But if I'm looking for, I, I don't know, uh, iPhone cases and I see a paid thing pop up, I'm just like, eh, no. I'd rather find what I'm looking for rather than have someone shove it at me. Um, and I, I think... I think people, like you said, they're really getting desensitized. Yeah, desensitized to um, the idea that you can use Facebook or Instagram and shove a product at someone. I mean, I know when I go through my Instagram feed, I just go right past the sponsored stuff on my personal Facebook feed, or if I'm consuming it, you know, for fun. Um, the last thing I want to see is some new contraption that I can use in the kitchen or whatever it's trying. You know, someone's trying to show me. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think if, if someone did or if people start doing ads that were more beneficial, I think all that could change. I think the problem is people aren't doing ads. They're, they're doing, uh, doing ads that way. They're doing ads like it's a billboard, you know, saying, buy my product. It's 10% off, you know, rather than an ad that says, you've been searching for this question and I'm going to help you answer that question. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. I noticed that a lot of what you do on social media is curation and that might also get an audience. What do you think about that? Instead of mm -hmm. just purely creation, it's also partly curation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I really want to change for 2019. Um, so I have a couple different guys that work for me and they, they do the majority of the uh, Instagram uh, and Facebook postings. And it's, it's really weird because it, the, just because the way the industry is right now, where like memes and that sort of thing have been, when you look at the metrics, those are the things that take off. And there's been kind of a tendency to say, oh, well, when we do this type of post, then the result, at least the results that we can see are better. So maybe we get more comments. Maybe we're looking for more shares. Um, and I, I really want to do a much bigger focus on actually creating more content, whether it's whether it's blogs, whether it's unique videos, not just on YouTube. So I would like to do a complete different style of video for Facebook um, versus what I'm doing now, which is basically taking that video from YouTube and then uploading it to Facebook. So uh, I really want to kind of separate the platforms and, you, and look at Facebook like it's 40 and over, probably 45 and over. And then look at Instagram like it's the younger demographic, before, you know, under that. Um, and YouTube, I mean, YouTube is is odd in that there's 
you know, my dad watches YouTube just just the same way that my son does. I mean, they're watching different things, but they're both consuming content on YouTube. So I think it's 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 a bit odd that you can um, that it's not so so separate like like a Facebook would be. It's cool, but. So what you're talking about sort of reminds me of your difference between your podcast versus your YouTube channel. Sometimes you put the same content on, but your podcast content doesn't really show up on YouTube, at least the way you do it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I started out, um, we would re- when we did the podcast, we'd record them. And, we you know, basically it was a couple cameras with three dudes on a couch. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's not entertaining to watch that. You know, I mean, I think it's, you'd have to be interviewing someone, you have to be a Joe Rogan interviewing someone that people care about rather than, you know, a couple of sweaty, smelly, you know, middle-aged men talking about guitar pedals. I think it's just not interesting to watch on YouTube. So I, I quit doing that. But I think, and we talked kind of talked about this earlier before we started, I mean, consuming podcasts is radically different than consuming YouTube. Um you know, I can I can listen to a podcast while driving, and it's quite dangerous to watch a YouTube video while driving. And and even if you do just listen to it, if you know, and I've tried this, when when you know it's video and you're recording it, you forget all the small things like oh, right here I'm turning up the bass knob, so I need to tell the people that I'm turning up the bass knob. Versus if you're if you know it's just audio and you don't have cameras. And you're doing like what our tone tip segment or something. Um, I go into it knowing that it's going to be audio. And so as I turn up the bass knob, I make sure I say, okay, I'm at nine o'clock on the bass knob. I'm going to turn it up to one o'clock. And this is what it sounds like. You know, so it's a little more descriptive. Um, but it, it totally, it completely is two different things. They, and they both have their purpose. They're both good. Um, kind of like vegetable and meat, you know. <laughs> Uh, I know I've talked to you about this a lot, but what would you say your take on audience cross-correlation between podcasts and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram? Do do you find that it's the same audience or different audiences? I think for, uh, I can only speak for us. I mean, it's, I think it's different for other people, but for, uh, for guitar pedals, I think the Facebook audience seems to be more willing to listen to our podcast a smaller portion of YouTubers do, but they're older. Um, I think on Instagram, it, we don't get a whole lot of traction from our podcast. I mean, just on our page. Uh, again, that could be totally different, a different industry. I think it's it's probably because on you on Instagram, the demographic is a little bit younger and may, maybe they just don't like podcasts. Maybe they don't like to consume information that way, but they'll click on a YouTube link a lot, a lot more than they'll click on a, a podcast link. Um, but I, I think, um, I think overall, I mean, I think the right way to do it is to do all of it if you can, you know I mean? To, Cause it does hit those, those different people and, and it is used for different purposes and it's consumed differently. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of went a little bit on a side road a bit. <laughs> So one of your stories that you like to tell, or I don't know if you like to tell it, but that you tell is your story about Brad Paisley and how you got in contact with him. <laughs> yeah. So this was, uh, I want to say this is about 2002, somewhere in that area. Um, he was 
he was actually closer. We, there's a town here in Indiana called Nashville as well. And there was a little venue there that's no longer there, but it was a 2000 seat venue. So it's much smaller than what he's doing now. And um, in the in the middle of those concerts, uh, they would allow people to basically go down the center aisle, go up to the stage and take a picture and then go sit to your seat. And uh, so whenever Brad Paisley, that's just what every, everybody did there. That's that's the way the venue worked. And so whenever Brad Paisley did that, um, I went there knowing like, I'm, instead of taking a picture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a pedal. And so I went up to the stage and kind of tossed, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, five feet away from him. So I tossed the pedal on stage and he looked at it and looked over at his tech, looked down at me and wondered why this weird guy was throwing a guitar pedal at him. And he just kind of motioned over to, uh, to the tech to come and get it. But, um, I wondered if I was going to get kicked out for that actually. <laughs> but I mean, the, the whole idea was, you know, in the eighties people would try to get, uh, you know, tapes to music labels in sort of the same way. You know, they would try to sneak a tape to somebody. If you're a waiter, you're sneaking a tape to a, a label executive at a table. Right. So it's the same idea, just using a pedal. <laughs> but I mean, it was an odd way to approach him. He remembered it. And, um, you know, and that that started at least it got the got my foot in the door to them even knowing who I was. You know, uh, and I went. I mean, that's not been a make or break deal by any means. So it had that not happened, like we would still have a business, and we may even still have a relationship with Brad. But it was um, it was a unique way to kind of get a little bit of notoriety quick up front. I so. love that example because. Well, A, it's a great example of just hustling and working hard and thinking innovatively. But also, one thing that I constantly think about is if I want to build a relationship with this person, what's the most creative way that I can get their attention? Especially people that are very busy or very famous or something right. like that. It's, a lot of gatekeepers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when there's a lot of gatekeepers, it's hard to get to that person um, and unless, unless you think creatively, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you got to throw an object at a person to get their attention. <laughs> Maybe not a dangerous object. Maybe not a dangerous object. So that concludes this first half of the interview with Mr. Brian Wampler. But before I do the usual recap, I would really like to thank Mr. Wampler for taking the time out of his day to welcome me and speak with me and be on this podcast. And now to the takeaway section, I think that I've heard one time on Mr. Wampler's podcast that he was saying somebody said that he wasn't as charismatic or as great in person in real life as he was online. But meeting him and talking with him, I 1000% disagree. Mr. Wampler shows himself to be a really brilliant person and a smart businessman. And not to say that he's a smart businessman and that's all he is. No, he's just a genuine, kind person. The way that he reached out to people in the forums and, he, as in his words, he became their online friend. He really took his time to help out other people in the community and help them become better musicians. And ultimately, that in return gave him attention and that gave him trust and that allowed people to come to him with their questions and then now he's the expert and now he can provide his two cents on a topic and people love to listen to it. And I just think that that is brilliant. 
Now, in part two of this interview, we talk a little bit more about Mr. Rompler as a person, some advice that he has to give, and I learned a lot of things that I didn't know before about him. And even though I listen to his podcast almost every single episode, and I watch a lot of his YouTube videos, hearing his perspective on some of these burning questions that I've had in my mind, I, I learned quite a lot about him that I never knew before. And to be honest, I really didn't know where to take this interview. I could have asked him about the technical side of things and more about the nitty-gritty details of the engineering, because as an electrical engineer major in college, that's interesting to me, but I thought that what might be more interesting to you guys would be to understand where he came from, understand sort of the experiences that shaped him, and then understand how he thinks and why he acts the way that he acts and why he has this community around his brand and his name. It's so fascinating and I, I learned so much in this interview, so I really hope you stick around for part two. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, I really encourage you to share it with a friend, a family member, anybody that might find it interesting or relevant to their life. I really create these podcasts not for profit, but so that I can share these stories of these people and share my own learning journey as well. And I think that a lot of people might be able to relate to it. So if you found it at all interesting, please share it. It, would, it means a lot to me. And I have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a Twitter page. Those links will be in the podcast description. So please be sure to follow them and reach out to me. Let me know your feedback on these interviews. If you have an interview in mind, somebody that you'd like me to interview or an industry that you're interested in, please let me know. Or I'm also happy to answer questions about college as well. Anything goes, and I'd really love to hear what you have to think. Lastly, I would really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed this podcast. I read all the ratings and reviews, and it really gives me some good feedback, and it seems to be good so far, but just anything that you have to say, I really want to hear it. So thank you so much, and stay tuned for the next episode. Until then, take care.